God of our present trouble and promised triumph, open our eyes to see you in the midst of our struggles. Open our ears to hear your words of invitation and assurance. Open our minds to recall your wonderful works and miracles. Open our hearts to the glory in your name and seek the strength in your word. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning is uh, a doozy. Genesis 37, the first 28 verses. Listen for God's word to you today. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. These are the descendants of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him an ornamented robe. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were bringing sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream and told it to his brothers, saying, Look, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow down on the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. The man said to him, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. 
Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornamented robe that he wore, and they took him and threw him in a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it to us if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. As the summer nears its end, we are nearing the end of the book of Genesis. We've been following Abraham's family for some time now. Abraham and Sarah, on to Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, Rachel and Leah, and now Joseph and his brothers. It all comes to a gripping conclusion next week. But today we hear the beginning of the end as we learn about Jacob's sons. Now we already know a lot about Jacob's family tree. And by now we should recognize a familiar pattern that just keeps coming up again and again. We see how favoritism from parents to children causes extraordinary pain. Abraham and Sarah favor Isaac over Ishmael, and 4,000 years later, that wound in their relationship has never healed. The descendants of Isaac and Ishmael have never fully reconciled. Isaac and Rebekah repeat the same pattern, each favoring a different child. And though we didn't read about it, Jacob and Esau do eventually reconcile, yet Jacob still cannot break this family pattern of favoritism that he inherits. Which is perhaps why the narrator goes back and forth between calling him Jacob or Israel. His new identity hasn't quite stuck yet. And so Jacob loves Joseph more than his other children, gives him this special technicolor dream coat just so that everybody can know this one is my favorite. Every family has generational patterns, ways of relating to each other that, if left to themselves, will inevitably repeat. And those patterns are both for good and bad. And as we've seen, Jacob's family is one of deep favoritism. Your family has patterns as well in what it rewards versus what it punishes, in how it deals with stress, what it looks down upon. Family patterns may involve addiction, abuse, mental health, triangulation, emotional outbursts, 
maybe even favoritism. But whatever your patterns are, unless you do the hard work of recognizing them, and in the case of the unhealthy ones, breaking the cycle, if you don't do that work, you will simply pass on what was given to you. Richard Rohr says, pain that is not transformed is transmitted. Another way to say that is trauma that is not metabolized metastasizes. And so Joseph receives special treatment from his father, and while you'd think it might be better to be the favored one versus the unfavored, it's never quite that simple. When it comes to unhealthy family patterns, no one wins. Everyone loses. So told that he is the favorite and given this special robe to set him apart from his brothers, Joseph has dreams. He dreams that his father and brothers will one day bow down to him. And honestly, why wouldn't he dream that? After all, his father Jacob usurped his older brother Esau. And everyone now knows that Joseph is Jacob's favorite. Why shouldn't Joseph dream of rising to heights even beyond his father. And yet, speaking of this dream aloud, of course, only deepens his brother's hatred of him. Even Jacob isn't sure what to do with it. And the whole thing just reeks of family dysfunction, doesn't it? And what I can't get out of my mind with this story is how misplaced the brother's hatred is. They hate Joseph when they should be angry with their father. After all, it's his favoritism that's causing the problem. And instead of being able to honestly confront their father and tell him how hurtful his actions have been, they all instead compete for daddy's affection, thinking that if they can just get rid of the, the favorite, then maybe dad will favor me. It's a fool's errand, and one that gets repeated in family after family. But nothing unites a family or a tribe more than a perceived threat to the way that family is organized. <laughs> Even families who otherwise hate each other, they will unify around eliminating threats to the system. And so Joseph's brothers unite to get rid of the dreamer. Every generation has dreamers. And dreams are a threat to power. Because to dream is to imagine a different way of being. It's to entertain that what is need not determine what could be. So dreamers are people of hope. They dare to imagine a different pattern than the one they've been given. And so in our cases, how do we free ourselves from the dysfunctional relationship patterns that we've inherited? Well, first you've got to dream of something better. And Joseph dreams, of a power, uh, uh, Joseph dreams of a world where power is redistributed to him. And it appears arrogant and self-aggrandizing, doesn't it? But there is something more going on here. We saw a few weeks ago that when Jacob stole Esau's birthright, that when you rearrange the power dynamics in a sibling relationship, this was to upset the very social fabric of the ancient world. And so like father, like son, Joseph dreams of a world that is different than the one he is given. 
And just like with Esau, Joseph's brothers don't appreciate this dream. So they see him approaching, and they say, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. These verses are written on the plaque outside the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated on April 4, 1968. King, too, was a dreamer, one who was betrayed and killed by his brothers, brothers who hoped that his dream would die with him. Five years before his murder, King delivered his most famous speech when he extemporaneously said, I have a dream that this nation will one day rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will live, sit down together at the table of brotherhood. And over the next five years, Dr. King lived deeper and deeper into the implications of that dream. He knew that for this dream to become a reality, it wasn't merely the attitudes of individuals that needed to be changed. Power itself needed to be redistributed. And nothing unites a family or a tribe more than a perceived threat to the way that family is organized. Did any wonder that he was killed? And here we are, 55 years after his murder. We, the siblings of Dr. King, have the opportunity to change the family patterns that we've been given. And none of us created these patterns. But we can do something about them. We can break the cycle if we are willing to share the dream to transform our pain instead of transmitting it. And yes, even to share power. There are patterns in our personal families and there are patterns in our national family and both need addressing. Our nation has a pattern of favoritism that must be acknowledged if it is ever to be repaired. Favoritism only leads to suffering, even for the one who is favored. Our brothers and sisters have been stripped, thrown into a pit. They've been bought and sold as chattel. And they continue to be treated as the unfavored ones. If we are ever to sit down at the table of fellowship, if we are ever to be the beloved community, we first must acknowledge the pattern of favoritism make amends, and seek a better way. What Joseph's brothers didn't know at the time, but would eventually discover, is that Joseph's dreams weren't simply expressions of his ego. In fact, he wasn't being uppity. Despite how they appeared, Joseph's dreams weren't a threat to them. In fact, before the story's over, his dreams would save them. Why? Because Joseph's dreams were God's dream. And God's dreams cannot be killed, sold, or set aside. 
God's dreams disrupt the way things are, and within that disruption lies our very salvation. As with Joseph's brothers, our hatred has been misplaced as well. In one way or another, we've all been taught to hate and mistrust each other because of race and politics, gender, sexual orientation, class, religion. The list can go on. We think that we're in competition with each other for the affection of a divine parent who only loves some. When in fact, the God and maker of us all shows no partiality. Thank God that God is not simply a bigger version of our families with all their dysfunction. No. In God's family, there is always enough. Enough and some to spare. So dare we trust that God's dream will come true. That's what faith is. Trusting in God's dream. King dreamed that with this faith we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith we'll be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. Isn't that what we all want? To be free of the unhealthy patterns that we've been given? To live together in peace? See, the reason that King's dream still resonates is because it wasn't just his dream. It's God's dream as well. And though we may try to kill God's dream, it will always rise again. King's last words before he died were to the musician Ben Branch. And he asked him to play his favorite hymn at the meeting that was scheduled later that night. Precious Lord, take my hand. And King said, Ben, play it real pretty. And then he died. So let us sing for all who've been thrown in the pit, who feel abandoned and betrayed. And let us sing in the hope that God's dreams never die, knowing that one day we all will be free.